Hi everyone, I'm Aviva Rumani, and welcome to episode 55 of KindredCast, a bi-weekly podcast featuring insights from dealmakers and thought leaders from the world of tech, media, and everything in between. KindredCast is a production of Kindred Media, powered by Liontree. Today, Ariana Huffington, the founder and CEO of Thrive Global, a corporate and consumer well-being and productivity platform, sits down with Liontree CEO Ari Borkoff in front of a live audience at the Nexus Israel Conference in New York City. The pair discuss Thrive's mission to make employee well-being a pillar of every company's success metrics. Tune in for a necessary wake-up call about the societal benefits of self-care. Enjoy. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us, everyone. It's an honor for me to be sitting here with a friend and a mentor and collaborator. Ariana, it's great to be here with you. It's great to be here with you. Last time was at your conference. That's right. We were in a different setting. It was <laughs> a snowing. A lot of snow around. Right, exactly. Well, I've always been impressed with you even before we became friends because you are not only a trailblazer, but you're an innovative thinker. And I say that because you try to bring ideas to the table in different spheres than I think is conventional. So you brought journalism to technology and a digital marketplace, and now you're bringing health and wellness into a tech crowd here. So what is Thrive Global, and what does it have anything to do with high tech and the lives that we lead in a new digital age? Well, Thrive Global is really the company that I started when I left the Huffington Post in 2016 because I could see all around me and from my own experience the stress and burnout epidemic. Mm -hmm. And we had so much data and science about how it was affecting performance, productivity, business metrics like attrition, retention, healthcare costs. And nevertheless, even though we are such a data-driven world, we were ignoring the data and continuing to live under the delusion that in order to succeed, uh, you have to burn out. Mm -hmm. That somehow burnout was the price of success. Mm -hmm. Now, the data was unequivocally against that, but people were continuing to live in that way. And I felt that I wanted to spend the rest of my life devoted to changing that because I feel it would both improve outcomes for companies, improve health and productivity for people, but also it would reduce an enormous amount of unnecessary pain and suffering. Because if you look at the data now, if you include mental health problems, 90% of healthcare problems and healthcare costs are stress-related, lifestyle-related, and preventable. This is like a stunning number. What I'm working to do with a company is create a behavior change platform that becomes the curator of the ecosystem. You gave me this great word that I'm already going to adopt called federation. There's an amazing amount of work, amazing amount of companies, I'm sure some represented here, doing work here, but they are widgets. And we need to put them all on a platform because otherwise it's very hard for people to manage dozens of widgets in their lives. Right. Is Thrive and the underlying messages you're talking about, does that mean that we're supposed to slow down? Not at all. In fact, 
we have certain words that we are not allowed to use <laughs> at Thrive, and one of them is slowing down. Okay. Because it's not about slowing down, on the contrary. It's about peak performance. You do a lot with sports. You've invested in a lot of sports companies. You're very familiar. Mm -hmm. If you talk to any elite athlete, they are absolutely obsessed with their sleep, their nutrition, their recovery time. Recovery is really what we're talking about. Working intensely, passionately, which is really what makes an amazing life, but allowing yourself to have time to unplug, recharge, and return, not just fully energized, but with your best ideas. Right. Well, you've built companies at a rapid pace, not just Huffington Post, but also now Thrive. Companies in this room are growing very rapidly. Israel as a society has grown incredibly rapidly. It's a young country still, and I've experienced that myself. So how can you deal with the anxiety of being a disruptor while you're trying to really tackle big industries that are established and the establishment while trying to keep in mind these things that seem to be more adjacent to the core purpose that you're trying to integrate into the core? Great. So I think the key is to not see them as adjacent but part of the core. I figured you'd say that. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that because if you look at how do we come up with our best ideas, what are the game-changing ideas for a company or for an individual, they're ideas that often we come up with not while we are cleaning up our inbox. Yeah. We come up with them in the shower. Why do people say, I have my best ideas in the shower? We come up with them... As you and I were talking about, after your Shabbat, yeah. you suddenly have time to disconnect and then see the bigger picture. And that's what is missing right now, especially in our always-on culture, when people are increasingly addicted to their devices. It's very hard to have time with ourselves, deeper time to come up with these bigger ideas. And we find, like we work with dozens of big Fortune 500 companies, Accenture, J.P. Morgan, the Hilton Hotels. And we are finding that what changes the way they approach these aspects is seeing the ROI, seeing the return on investment, seeing that these are not warm and fuzzy HR benefits. They actually have a direct impact on the business metric. What are those metrics that you're trying to solve for? We actually have a dashboard that we are making available to boards because we believe that Boards now look at different risks, right? Like succession, strategy, cybersecurity. Boards need to also look at human capital as a potential risk. And we see with companies that have almost gone off the rails yeah. how the boards and senior management did not have the predictive analytics of what was happening with their human capital. So we can give them those. We've launched with SAP and Qualtrics a Thrive XM index, which measures employees' experiences. Let me give you one example. Please. Most people look at uh, benefits as the be and all of an employee's experience. Like in a, a 401k company. or things like a that. A 401k or even maternity leave, yeah. paternity leave. But we've talked to employees, you know, women returning to work after a great maternity leave, four or five months even and not having a room where they can pump milk. Just like simple experiences that affect 
the quality of their work life and affect their loyalty to the company, the chances that they may leave and how upsetting it can be for them. We are trying to capture those and help employers realize that it's not just about benefits. Do you think that there's a direct relationship between shareholder value and shareholder creation and a happy employee base? Absolutely. And it's both for the employees, but for the leaders too. We love to collect the experiences of role models Mm -hmm. on the Thrive Media platform, which is the other part of the business. You know, there's the B2B workshops, sustainability programs, then the media platform. And Jeff Bezos wrote a piece for us. And the headline actually was, why my sleeping eight hours a night is good for Amazon shareholders. And he made the connection between him being fully recharged and the quality of his decision-making. And because he's so analytical, he actually has measured it. And he said that when I'm tired, my decision-making is 5 to 20% less good. The future of Amazon, he said, depends on the quality of my decisions, not the quantity of my decisions. That is a great article. I read the article and it got a lot of press. But I was wondering when I was reading it, that maybe he has the benefit at this point to have a system of support and resources and infrastructure around him to allow himself to have a little more time, a little more rest and better thinking time. How do you employ that to the next layer down and all the way through the system when they're still trying to build up their careers? I'm so glad you asked that question because I think that's a key question. And it has to do with people's beliefs. So we need to go to the foundation. You know how you have said that When you look at companies to buy, I spent the weekend reading what he has written, so I'm now an expert. You look at what is the foundation of the company. Also, when I look at employees, I look at what is the foundation of this human being. Because if their foundation is brittle, when change accelerates, when challenges happen, they won't be able to withstand it. So I want to hire people and I want to help people in the companies we work with strengthen their foundation. And that starts with their beliefs. Let's say you're at the beginning of your career. And if you believe that the only way you can succeed is to be always on, to sleep with your phone, to answer texts in the middle of the night, the way a lot of people believe. If you believe that you'll sleep when you are dead or you snooze, you lose, you know, all that stuff. If you really believe that, it's going to be very hard to change your behavior. There must be a Greek slogan that's equivalent to that. You snooze, you lose, right? (laughs) I know. I have to figure it out. So we actually start with changing people's beliefs. It's so interesting you said because I have a similar mantra that I call the trampoline. If you have a strong trampoline, you're going to be able to jump on it with a base and go as high as you can to the sky. But if you don't trust trampoline and you feel it's fragile, you're going to be very tentative and you're going to not jump so high and be limited in where you could go. And so figuring out your base and solidifying it as you go is a very powerful thing for your growth. Exactly. Both for individuals and for companies. Correct. That resilience, greed, have always been important, but they are more important than ever now. Yeah. Because change is accelerating, and a lot of people cannot handle it. I mean, look at the data. You know, mental health problems have skyrocketed. Suicides are up. 25% in the last 20 years. And the problems are accentuated for teenagers. This is a crisis we need to address. Correct. Well, let me draw a parallel between you and a famous rapper in the 1990s 
who was assassinated in 1997 before his time, unfortunately, and thought <laughs> to be one of the best rappers of all time, Notorious B.I.G. So what does Ariana Huffington and Notorious B.I.G. have in common? At your conference, Rob Stone was there. Rob Fader, yeah. Yes. On the panel that Jeffrey Katzenberg ran at your conference, I mentioned that the more you know about the impact of technology on our lives, the more protective you are of how much exposure your children have and how much exposure you have. So if you go and stay with people, the digital masters of the universe in the valley, their children in the morning play with chickens and Legos. They don't play with iPads and iPhones. So I said, don't get high on your own supply. <laughs> and that, of course, is a famous phrase from the Ten Crack Commandments. <laughs> the notorious B.I.G. rap song, right? Yes. And... <laughs> Rob Stone wrote a piece on Thrive, which went very viral. Yeah, it's a great piece. Let's focus on that. When you know the tech executives, I know the tech executives, and we're all now wired to be using Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and Snap and all these great products. But when you actually go visit the executives that have created and run those products, you're saying they're not really using them with their children all the time. They're playing with chickens and Legos. Yes, and also if you go to any party that they have, the first thing before you walk in is a sign that says, let's celebrate in private, no social media allowed. So I think we need to look at that because they know something. Mm -hmm. Increasingly, I think this is going to become the new digital divide. You know, digital divide used to be access to the internet. Right. And that's incredibly important. Let me just say, I assume we take this for granted, that technology is amazing, that it has allowed incredible things. So this is not about anti-technology. This is about the need to set boundaries to our relationship with technology so that we can connect with ourselves and can have deep relationships with others. I love that that's so important to you because being connected to 10,000 people on Facebook doesn't mean anything about your social health. It doesn't mean anything about how deep and intimate and vulnerable are your key relationships. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of technology companies that we get to meet with and you get to meet with that are showing their business models or their plans. And the further out it is, the better and more exciting it is and the more revolutionary, the more exciting it is sometimes. But I always am wondering what is going to be irreplaceable by technology. Yes. And I think it's this. Exactly. It's this human connectivity which I think would be really hard, maybe the last thing that will be replaced in a robotic sense, because it's very difficult. There's so many variables at play here. And I think you have to make time for that kind of relationship development in your life. But there are going to be companies here that are going to walk away from this and say, that was hopefully interesting. It was great to hear what Ariana had to say. Great to hear what Thrive Global says. And then quickly get back to day-to-day -day business, which is understandable because you prioritize the things that you feel like are urgent, right? So how do you make it sustainable and systematic from what we're talking about? That's the key question. And for me, it has to do with how you can give people small, incremental, daily micro-steps, mm -hmm. tiny changes that have big ripple effects. We have over 700 micro-steps at Thrive that we've developed with our scientific advisors. Everything is totally science-based. And just by practicing these micro-steps, you pick one to start with, you can begin to change outcomes in your life. Let me give you my favorite micro-step. Yeah. 
pick a time at the end of your day that you declare the end of your working day. It's an arbitrary moment because the truth is that we don't have an end to our working day anymore. I bet everybody here, anybody who has an interesting job can spend nights continuing to catch up with everything. So you have to declare this arbitrary den and you declare it by turning off your phone and escorting it out of your bedroom. <laughs> this may seem really small, it's super hard for many people, but you cannot sleep with your phone. If you hear nothing else from this conversation, that's the most important message. And the data and the science is unequivocal. You need to disconnect from your day life. It's a little bit like Shabbat every yeah. night. Your projects, your programs, your problems, and actually be able to go deeper inside yourself. And all the science about sleep now is that sleep is not optional. It's not negotiable. It's the only time you can clean up all the debris and the toxins that accumulate during the day. So actually sleep is a time of incredible brain activity. It's not a time of inactivity. Ariana is so wise and insightful about these things, I'm telling the audience, that when you first started telling me about this plan and the need to sleep more for everybody, <laughs> I thought that you were being very clever because you have everyone go to sleep and then in the middle of the night you're gonna wake up and take over the world. <laughs> But you actually practice what you preach, right? I do. Actually, I'm much more effective and creative now because I do get my eight hours of sleep. Now, not everybody needs eight hours. Let me just be clear about that. One to one and a half percent of the population is a genetic mutation, and they actually don't need a lot of sleep. So if you are one of these people, if you are not sure, you can get yourself tested genetically. One to one and a half percent. Yes. The problem is if your boss is that person. <laughs> <laughs> and you are not, it's a problem. The vast majority of the world needs seven to nine hours. Like, I'm an eight-hour person. And when I get it, I feel like I can bring it on. Whatever the challenge, whatever the problem, I can deal with it. I'm more empathetic. I'm less reactive. I'm nicer to be around. Did you get eight hours of sleep when you were building Huffington Post? So I collapsed from burnout and exhaustion two years into building HuffPost in 2007, which was the beginning of my studying all these things and mm. learning. But the full growth of the Huffington Post came after I started getting eight hours. Really? Okay. And I can see the difference in my decisions because it's all about decisions and it's all about looking ahead. I mean, I looked ahead and saw that we had to be global, we had to prioritize video, and we had to prioritize building a community. Yeah. Let's fast forward into the next decade. And Thrive Global has been very successful. And the federation of companies that you're working with that are leading industries in their segments are partnered with Thrive Global and therefore more successful with a happier culture and a happier employee base and great human capital development. What does the world look like in your ideal after this project is complete and integrated into society? What the world looks like is a complete culture shift where we recognize that the people who are going to win the future are the people who know how to disconnect, reconnect with themselves and the special people in their lives and come back full of new ideas about winning the future. And that means that at the same time over the next 10 years that we are going to see 
artificial intelligence, machine learning, dramatically change the world, destroy jobs, change the way we work and live, we are going to see what that thrive we call augmented humanity. You know, not just augmented reality, but augmented humanity, mm -hmm. which means actually building on the particularly human qualities that AI cannot replace, which are loving, empathy, caring, and creativity. So if we continue to cultivate these values in ourselves, in our children, in our employees, I'm not at all concerned about the growth of AI and machine learning. I think it's going to be amazing. But if we don't prioritize these human qualities, if we get completely absorbed in uh, what AI and machine learning are doing and disregard our humanity, then we're going to be in trouble. But I'm yeah. an optimist. Yeah. I'm a Greek peasant optimist. <laughs> so I hope we're going to do the right thing. But we need to keep encouraging people to move beyond tracking to how do we change behaviors? You know, now the emphasis is on tracking. We don't want another widget, tracking, tracking steps, tracking food, tracking sleep. We need micro steps to help us make the changes in our lives that will be game changing. Correct. Anything that you want to leave this high tech community with for another micro step that they can go home and implement it even tonight besides the, the phone and the eight hours of sleep? Yes. One other micro step is something that we've developed actually in partnership with Stanford Medicine to deal with people's mental health because mental health has become such a crisis. Mm -hmm. What is fascinating is that we are working with Professor Leanne Williams at Stanford to actually intervene before people are depressed and anxious. It works after they are, but if we can prevent depression and anxiety, so much better. Professor Williams has done an incredible amount of work on the depressed and anxious brain with the years of MRI imaging. And what you see is the neural pathways, if they're not intervened with, lead to depression and anxiety. There are eight of them, but I'm going to mention just two. One is negative bias. We all occasionally have negative bias, right? Look at the world in a dark light. Yeah. That's not the problem. The problem is if negative bias becomes your dominant mode of interacting with the world, you are inevitably going to become depressed. So now we have developed micro steps to intervene with that earlier. And the most important micro step here is remembering what you are grateful for. We are, for example, working with PNG to bring the gratitude micro step on top of the step of people brushing their teeth. Because the fastest way to change habits is what's known as habit stacking. People are supposed to brush their teeth for two minutes, morning and night. Let's say they do it for one minute. You're brushing your teeth with Crest if you are a PNG customer. We send you information through social media, through microsites, through newsletters. While you are brushing your teeth, remember three things you're grateful for. And if you start your day remembering three things you're grateful for and end your day remembering three things you're grateful for, you change the quality of your day. And just think of it. It doesn't take any more time. You are doing it while you are doing something else. So these are the tiny micro steps that I want to leave you with. They are game-changing without 
you having to make any dramatic changes in your life. You can multitask in a positive way. Exactly, positive multitasking. Yeah. And the other, just very quickly, the other neuropathway is rumination. Women are particularly prone to that, I know from myself, to actually listen to these voices of self-doubt, the voices that go over the past and regurgitate our mistakes mm -hmm. instead of being present. And if you keep doing that without intervening with it, it becomes anxiety. I asked my daughter this weekend, I was pouring a iced coffee, stopped it halfway through, and I said, do you consider this to be half full or half empty? <laughs> and she said, well, it's half full. And I said, well, why do you say that? Because you're filling it up, so it's glass half full on the way up, and it's glass half empty on the way down. Wow, interesting. And I said, well, that's a great way to look at life. I love that. If you change orientation towards an optimistic view, it's always half full on the way up. Because life is evolving. Correct. And it's going to get better and better. I love yeah. that you have to have your daughter write about it. In fact, I want to invite all of you to write on Thrive. We have 35,000 contributors now. You can email me directly, ah at thriveglobal.com, and tell your stories, because when we share our stories, we accelerate that culture shift. Well, I am very grateful for you and for our friendship and for your being here with me today and with all of us today and really for your journey. This is a altruistic way to spend your life and to impact the world for good and uh, make a great business out of it as well. So thanks for being here, Ariana. Thank you. I'm grateful for you. Thank you, Aria. Thank, Thank you, Aria. I hope you enjoyed our show today. If you want to check out any prior episodes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Feel free to leave a review there as it helps people find the show. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at KindredCast for behind the scenes photos and info. Keep listening and see you next time. Audiation.